What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius Malbro here with yet another Data Protection Gumbo episode. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Lee Caswell, Vice President of Marketing at VMware and the Cloud Platform Business Unit. Lee joined VMware in 2016 and also leads a team responsible for product and technical marketing for the hypervisor, storage, data protection, and disaster recovery as a service products. Lee has extensive leadership experience in the storage, flash, and virtualization markets, including past executive roles at NetApp and Fusion IO, and as well as being a founder of Pivot3 a company widely considered to be the founder of Hyperconverged Systems, where he served as the CEO and also Chief Marketing Officer. Gumbo listeners, Lee discusses the Datrium acquisition, his view on containers versus virtual machines, and also some details on Project Monterey, where he talks about offloading CPUs and using SmartNICs. So sit back, relax, and pour up your favorite beverage while we get right into the episode. This episode is brought to you in part by Haiku is a global leader in multi-cloud data protection, helping companies take advantage of their cloud platform of choice from on-premises to public clouds. Your purpose-built backup as a service, management, and DR solutions are just one click away. Visit tryhaiku.com, that is T-R-Y-H-Y-C-U.com, to get started today. Lee, how are you today? Demetrius, I'm good. Yeah, thanks so much for having me here. It's a delight to be here. All right, so let's let's start with the with the virtual elephant in the room, Lee, if you don't mind, which is the Datrium acquisition. Yeah. So uh, I guess from there, from a disaster recovery as a service perspective, uh, I guess what they brought to the table for you that's morphed into VMware Cloud disaster recovery. Is that right? That's exactly right. All right. And how is that going? And, and have you seen an uptick in, in that service since it's launched? Yeah, it was super exciting to watch the speed at which <laughs> VMware is working with, in fact, a lot of ex-VMware employees uh, who were at uh, Datrium. You know, Datrium had shifted their business model roughly a year and a half ago, right, to building a mm-hmm. on-ramp to a DR as a service offering, if you will. And so the idea was basically that, you know, for companies that were looking to go and use the cloud as a DR target, you could basically go and use a very elegant file system that would basically solve the data problem of how you could move not just the application, but the data with the application, right? This has always been kind of the trick on uh, DR as a service. Just to expound on that for a minute, right? So now what you have is uh, with our VMware Cloud disaster recovery offering, uh, for customers who are on-prem, you can basically now start um, aligning to the public cloud in a way that um, lets you go and have a very efficient way to take Delta images of your data, stateful storage, if you will, and then be able to go and fail over on demand into starting with AWS, right? So this is now tied in uh, specifically here. So it's a really interesting way to get a rentable model for DR. Well, great, great. So that's looped into Site Recovery Manager and I guess Site Recovery. And uh, so I guess it expands the hybrid cloud model that, you know, VMware is uh, actually expanding on. And so also, I guess, talking a little bit about the other elephant 
that's in the room, which is COVID, COVID-19 and the pandemic that we're all in right now. <laughs> sure. you know, there's a lot of talk of it and, you know, people are somewhat tired of, of COVID, but we're still in it. So we still have to, to address it. Right. So <laughs> how is that affecting, I guess, how infrastructure is, is being deployed? I guess, from your perspective, what are you seeing out there and, and how has COVID affected um, some of the businesses that you've seen? Yeah, one of the really interesting dynamics so far is that, you know, top priorities have shifted for key customers, especially with data and business resiliency. Business resiliency was always in the top 10 of which DR, backup, you know, data protection all all fit into this. But what happened with COVID, right, was that all of a sudden, with it being more difficult to access data centers, for example, right? All of a sudden, DR like rocketed to the top of the priority list of being able to fail over and fail back and do it simply and easily with the least amount of kind of handholding, if you will. And so we've seen a tremendous uptick in the opportunities for using our new VMware Cloud DR product. Uh, for customers to put more applications or make more applications disaster ready. And that is really interesting because I think a lot of a lot of businesses suddenly figured out which what we've known for years, right? Which is the applications are what are creating business relationships now. It's not really the tangible assets. And so, you know, we see this, right, where everything's becoming virtual. Well, the apps need to be protected at all costs. Everything's now business critical. I agree. And, you know, everything has definitely shifted. The application is king. And, and you know, there, there's so many different things we could talk about, Lee, you know, just around, you know, how everything has, has changed the the entire compute storage and network stack of, you know, virtualization, et cetera. And, you know, having the right infrastructure to support those production workloads and also, you know, having that consistent operating model between them, that's that's something that's huge. It's definitely seemed that, you know, at one point that containers will replace virtual machines one day or maybe they can work together. I'm not quite sure. Do, do you have uh, an opinion on that or, or a take on I guess, what, what are you seeing? You know, listen, containers is fantastic technology, but it's different, complementary to what virtualization offers. And let me contrast this for a minute, right? Uh, if you went back four or five years ago, if you remember OpenStack, remember OpenStack, right? So OpenStack was basically a way for open source to, that really looked like a replacement for virtualization or as we offered it from VMware standpoint. But what, companies figured out was, listen, it takes a huge effort to go and build that. It was hundreds of employees trying to basically make this open source infrastructure work. And so, you know, that really faded to black as, you know, the value of what VMware does in terms of resilient infrastructure with intrinsic security, right? And an operating model, you know, known by millions of uh, administrators when containers came along, it's a very different dynamic, right? The container value proposition is around speeding the development of an app. And that, right, what we're finding is that's a really valuable thing. And that's why VMware's leaned into supporting containers on a VM infrastructure. You know, in the last year, we um, announced something called Project Pacific, uh, which was the plan to integrate Kubernetes into the hypervisor directly. And that then was consummated through products, right? Through vSphere with Tanzu, our Tanzu portfolio is 
how we support uh, container-based applications. So what we're finding, right, is you know what we hope to be true is turned out to be true, right? Which is that container development is happening at speed on top of resilient software-defined infrastructure that helps speed and basically have the infrastructure kind of become invisible. So you don't have to worry about the infrastructure and you can change it flexibly. So we're seeing these two technologies really evolve together and containers along with a software-defined infrastructure. We call that, by the way, for us, it's the VMware Cloud Foundation. And that, as you as you mentioned, is, right, is available from on-prem into all the major hyperscalers, including AWS, Azure, Google Cloud. And so you can have this really interesting unified management, right, that spans across the hybrid cloud. All right. So let, let's talk a little bit about security, Lee. Uh, I hope you don't mind talking about security, which is a, a very hot topic right now as well, especially uh, since everyone is working from home and the entire play around, you know, how, how are we going to secure uh, these networks, especially since people are working from home and there's just another inflection point uh, for things to go wrong. So I guess, how, how do you view things like ransomware? Is that something that, that you're aware of? And I guess, does VMware have any solutions or, or products around protecting companies from ransomware or from the recovery of ransomware? Yeah, and ransomware is a hot topic, right? And one that uh, when it happens, boy, oh, yeah. it's the news, right? <laughs> you can see things happen really fast because, you know, it's a really complicated calculus to figure out, well, what do you do, right? And the problem with this is that, you know, most or oftentimes companies are start thinking about this when it's already happened. <laughs> that's, that's not a good time, right? To be under stress and pressure to figure out what to go do. So a lot of companies are taking the ransomware risk and thinking, listen, how do I go make sure that if something happens, I can go back in time and basically restart or fail over to another location, right? And you know, it's not just ransomware. There's also, um, you've seen the fires in California, right? Right, absolutely. Right, so, have a natural disaster every uh, you know every season, but uh, the idea that you know I need to be able to go and start keep my business going. Um, certainly, the Daytrium acquisition, right, with VCDR, uh, ransomware is a huge uh, driver of uh, DR as a service offerings, and especially as people have realized that more and more applications are business critical. You don't. You don't have to go back that far in time to remember when, like, email was considered not a business critical application. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so what we're finding, though, right, is what application isn't business critical now? So now you can start to look and say, listen, if I'm going to be able to afford DR for these, a couple of things have to change. Number one, I can't have capital equipment sitting idle all the time for DR. I've got to be able to basically make this a rentable model. So we think that's a huge driver of the cloud. As a uh, as a target for DR, number one, number two is uh, it turns out like testing DR can be really hard. Like I got to go and set it up and basically fail over to an identically configured system, right? I mean, this takes a lot of time. Where otherwise, right? If you do something where you've got a cloud DR system, you can basically then go and do live testing. And you can do it at small scale by applications and then shift to other ones. And basically, it doesn't break the bank and it's easy to go and configure and operationalize. So, you know, what we find, right, is people become comfortable when they're confident, right? When they, and so if you can become confident in, 
hey, I've got an operational DR plan and I'm able to test it at will. That's where we're seeing companies say, listen, and I now have um, a lot more confidence that I can sustain whatever comes, ransomware, natural disasters, even just an employee mistake, right? All these things can be go uncompensated, right, or, or um, uh, recovered with a DR solution. Yeah, and it, it actually brings up a funny story that I remember when disaster recovery was a physical thing. So, yeah, you know, we actually had, we spent weeks you know, working on a plan and, you know, I was a backup guy. So, you know, I have 20 years in the backup industry. So right. <laughs> it's it's a matter of, okay, figuring out, okay, which tapes. So first, which applications that we're going to test and recover, which databases, which systems, what order are we going to bring them up in and which tapes are we going to ship to the DR facility? So it was a huge effort, like a lot of money, uh, a lot of traveling involved, so I would actually get on a plane and fly to New York, and then is that right? Drive to New Jersey, yeah, <laughs> to IBM's <laughs> huge uh, that disaster recovery site, and it, it it's it was just a uh, the way of the world back then. So now with with cloud and you know everything being virtual, virtualized, and you know you can now automate things and you, you can push a button. And things fell over automatically for you and you can set, you know, alerts and it's just a cool world we live in. But there, there's also a bad side to that, which we won't get in now, but <laughs> we'll, we'll just loop back to Project Pacific. Uh, yeah. You mentioned it a little bit ago and uh, I, I know it's around where you re-architected, you know, vSphere with, with Kubernetes as its control plane. But do you mind telling the listeners about some of the cool things that are going on with the latest project. I think it's Project Monterey. Is that right? Yeah. So we're keeping our nautical theme going, right? With Project Pacific, if you think of Pacific Ocean being huge, broad, right? right. Was the idea that we would integrate Kubernetes directly into the hypervisor. Mm-hmm. And that's super important because, you know, containers can be spun up, spun down more quickly than VMs. Uh, they can be shared across the hybrid cloud. There's no innate security model. And so that gives our users from vSphere administrators the ability to go and manage Kubernetes orchestrated container-based apps exactly the same as traditional VM apps, right? So that was kind of the first thing. So Project Pacific then became a set of products. Similarly, we now we're going deep. So Monterey, you know, the Monterey Canyon is like just a mile offshore. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons it's so famous, right, is that it's easy to get to and it's this font of scientific discovery, right? So the idea was with Monterey, now what we're doing is we're bringing new hardware into the data center of the future. And this hardware is designed to go and, let's say, take advantage of the fact that processing inside of a data center is starting to be more segmented. You know, we've had CPUs forever, of course, right? Uh, GPUs, you can see like with the uh, the rise of NVIDIA, right? Um, now valued more than Intel. Well, you know, if you look carefully at uh, you know, stock market valuations, AI ML workloads. Um, and then now we have uh, the emergence of something new yet again, sometimes called a smart NIC, sometimes called the data processing unit or DPU. I think Gardner's calling it a function accelerator. <laughs> um, and so the idea is basically that, you know, Moore's law has slowed on the CPUs. And so CPU cycles are getting relatively more expensive or more precious, if you will. 
And at the same time, the number of things were loading up those CPUs. I mean, you can see it right with on security. When you start putting on encryption and storage things like deduplication and security elements like a shared uh, distributed firewall, all of a sudden, right, you can start taking a significant portion of the CPU cycles. And so the idea is that we're going to offload the CPU from these non-application tasks and run those instead on, you know, what's called a smart NIC or DPU or function accelerator. So vSphere itself would run on this, you know, accelerator processor along with um, some security applications or, you know, distributed firewalls, a great example here. And so what you can start to look at is you're basically now segregating the applications from the infrastructure. And this gives you a really interesting way to have a zero trust security model, right? In other words, applications, right, are not now, you know, accessible from the infrastructure piece. And similarly, like an app that gets infected can't go and change out the infrastructure itself. So you get a really interesting model. And, you know, for VMware folks, one of the interesting, exciting you know, prospects here is that VMware infrastructure value will be now applied and applicable to bare metal applications for the first time. So you were, you know, we announced partnerships with Pensando, Intel, and NVIDIA with their Mellanox acquisition, and are working closely then with our server OEM partners, Dell, uh, HPE, and Lenovo, to bring this all together. Right. And so you see a lot of this is core enablement development. Right. And yeah. we started VMware with a project name hmm. and then okay. the products come from there. Wow. That, it sounds like very exciting stuff. So, you know, you're actually working on some of the hardware and bringing the hardware into the future and, you know, creating smart NICs and things from that perspective. You know, those are exciting times because most people are pulling away from the hardware model mm-hmm. and moving more into that that software as a service, you know, letting go of hardware and rolling more into like the, the OPEX cost and, you know, letting go of CapEx. But, you know, if you can innovate something and you can actually increase value uh, from that perspective, then I say continue doing it. So I, I take my hat off to you guys over there uh, with Project uh, Monterey. So keep keep doing what you're doing on that front. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you could view the ideal end state. I've debating this with a cloud company the other day, right? And it's our view, right, that the distributed hybrid cloud is the ideal end state. And data people know this, backup people know this, right? This, you know, it's not easy, fast, or free to move data around. And so, you know, as we have, what, 30 to 50 billion endpoints coming online, right? Building out the edge, for example, right? You're gonna have all this data that's gonna be distributed across the hybrid cloud. And so, you know, we see that there will be private clouds, there'll be public clouds, there'll be edge um, endpoints. And, you know, what we're looking to do with Project Monterey is abstract these clouds so that companies can have a uniform, consistent operating model wherever their data resides. And that extends to data uh, disaster recovery, data protection, um, and certainly around, um, you know, locality for performance reasons. So I had a very exciting future coming up, new hardware, new software, yeah. VMware's in the middle of all of it. 
Yeah, and you and you know what? I guess one one other thing as well, Lee, is uh, what do, what do you have from a compliance and, and regulation perspective? I'm I'm not as privy into that side, I guess, with VMware. Is there anything, any technologies you have that can actually make compliance and regulations, and maybe GDPR and some of the other things out there? Yeah, well, you can certainly see that. You mentioned um, like security and endpoint devices, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of our latest acquisitions, right, was uh, Carbon Black. Oh, that's right. That's right. And I so forgot about that. Carbon Black. Yeah. So you can see that we're extending. Now, we've always had virtual desktops, right, in our uh, our Workspace ONE uh, products, Horizon. And, and um, you know, I've always been great ways to go and provide a virtual environment, right, so that you could protect physical um, ahead of, a, you know, a physical environment. But... What is interesting with Carbon Black is you can start to look at how you manage, control, and offer compliance, right, at the endpoint devices. And I think in a COVID environment, that's going to be particularly important as the number of endpoints is exploded. And like you said, you have so many people working from home. Yeah. And also back on that term of working from home, and since since this is data protection gumbo, there are a lot of backup and recovery and storage administrators that are listening to the podcast and also uh, unfortunately some of them lost lost a job mm. you know due to covid what advice would you give them right now around just the market the environment where you see uh, storage and data protection and virtualization i guess from from where you sit what advice would you give a backup administrator that's out of work right now? Well, this is my second time at VMware. And in the first time, right, uh, I remember meeting with server administrators where that role was almost over. Um, there wasn't much left to go do. Things had been automated, right? What happened at that time was virtualization basically spawned an incredibly new, vibrant career path for people who knew servers where you could start to look and basically now manage virtual servers, right? And you got tied into shared storage, grew up out of that, right? And But the idea was that the VMware console, vCenter, right? And knowledge and experience around that soon brought you into a whole new set of things. vMotion led to DRS, led to HA, led to FT, right? All the kind of server-led centric um, models. So a lot of leverage there, right? Here's what we're finding now is for customers that are looking and saying, hey, how do I leverage what I know? If you know vCenter and you're a virtualization administrator, what VMware is offering and opening up to you now is the ability to go and become a Kubernetes administrator, right? You've got it built in, right? So the idea is, hey, listen, you know what? I I can now extend what I know now with vSphere with Tanzu into becoming a Kubernetes administrator. Or I can say, well, listen, what about the cloud? Well, I've got the same stack, our VMware Cloud Foundation, running in AWS, right? Or in what we call AVS. And the trick to our naming, by the way, or the Rosetta Stone, is that whoever's name goes first is who's managing the service. So the VMware Cloud on AWS is managed by VMware, where the Azure VMware Solutions is managed by Microsoft, or the Google Cloud VMware Engine is managed by Google. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of get this idea, right? There's partner managed, there's VMware managed, there's customer managed. So you can now go though and say, listen, I can go and be a multi-cloud administrator and I can help consolidate that. So what we're seeing is that roles are being consolidated where um, even with our vSAN product, right? 
we had server people now taking on storage administrator capabilities. Every company is trying to do more with less. If you, as a from your skill set, can say, "Hey, listen, I can help do not just compute, but storage through vSAN and Kubernetes through vSphere with Tanzu and multi-cloud," right? You got a path to learn what you already know and provide more value to potential employers. You know what, Lee? I, I can reach out and give you a virtual hug right now <laughs> because I, I've been touting this message because um, I, I have a LinkedIn backup and recovery professionals group, hmm. and there's over 22,000 professionals in that group. Wow. And we were having some conversations around, well, what should I do since I've lost my job? I'm a backup administrator, and I don't know what to do. Like, what do you mean you don't know what to do? <laughs> right. Like. Technology is so ripe. Like you can watch, you can watch YouTube videos of how to set up a Kubernetes cluster and understand cloud native, and just it's everything is right there at your fingertips. You know, go to a browser, sit down, dedicate yourself, and then start learning some of these technologies. Because as you mentioned, products are now uh, they have this integrated within it, and they make it easier for you to learn. Right, so. Yep. You know, I'm I'm just touting to backup administrators and storage administrators. That role has been consolidated, as as you said as well, Lee. So you're no longer just a backup administrator. You're you're a cloud administrator, right? You need to know right. something about cloud native. You need to know something about virtualization. So it's uh it's it's a wild wild west, but I love exactly where we are right now uh, with the industry and the way technology has evolved. So. Rolling into the closing gumbo question, and it's not a technical one, so I apologize in advance. Please. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So the question is, what would you tell your 16-year-old self if you had an opportunity to travel back in time to secretly change your destiny? Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting. So my 16-year-old self, let's see, I was living in the country in upstate New York mm-hmm. <laughs> in high school looking, you know, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, I was one of those kids who didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I, I would say, don't worry about that, right? Don't worry so much about like, you know, with the fact that, uh there are certainly some people who know precisely what they want to do. I would say instead focus on things that you believe, right, are going to give you the greatest relationships, the best and long-term relationships, right? Uh, we moved around a lot as I was kids, right? And so we didn't really have the same level for people who've grown up in the same spot for long periods of time. But I would say long-term relationships. I guess the other thing that uh, to think through is um, – you know, be kind. <laughs> yes, that's a big one nowadays. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think sixteen-year-olds uh, can be a little impatient, right? And so, being kind, uh, whether it's your parents or your siblings, your friends, um, there's one thing I've learned is um, you can take time to be kind, and it always works out well. Yeah, I, I love that advice, and those are some of the core tenets that I stand on. That's the reason why I created the group, and that's. Also, a part of the reason why I'm having this conversation with you right now, it's about extending relationships and creating those relationships. And, you know, if, if you're capable and able to help someone else out, then that means you're helping out yourself because, you know, that's that's the symbiotic relationship 
that um, that core thread that runs across us as human beings. And since we're all mm-hmm. in technology, I've been doing this for 20, 21, 22 years. And I don't know how long you've been doing it, but I'm sure you see some of the same people and that core group gets smaller and smaller. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. But you know, what's interesting is people are, they do really remember who's treated them well, who they like to work with. And, you know, that doesn't mean you can't be focused, driven, persistent, challenging. And I certainly would expect people would think I'm all of those things. But it certainly is important to basically make sure that um, you treat people respectfully. Well, absolutely. It's uh, it's great to have you on the show. And I guess before we close out, Lee, is there a way that Gumbo listeners can reach out to you maybe on social media? Absolutely. Yeah. So on Twitter, I'm just at Lee Caswell, one word. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, certainly love to hear from uh, folks and uh, follow me on Twitter and, you know, we can keep keep you posted on all the new things we're doing at uh, VMware. And not that you need another group to join. I may send you an invitation to join the Backup and Recovery Professionals group. Be fantastic. Actually, I'd love to. All right, folks, you've heard it now. I, I said it on this recording. Lee is going to join the group. So that means send him as many questions as possible. I can't promise he's going to answer them, but I will. <laughs> I'm sure he'll respond. <laughs> all right, Lee, thank you for coming on the gumbo. And uh, it was truly a pleasure. Until next time. Great pleasure, Demetrius. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.